episode 110, Vestibular Research and Dizziness Rehab. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we're Dr. Carlo Ronaldo Perspective. Join 2017 and 2018 Podcast Awards nominated host as we get a behind the curtain look at all types of doctors and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back. I have a great guest today. He's from Australia, and he was a chiropractor for almost 20 years. Well, I guess he still is, but he has a fascinating story on how he got super excited about vestibular vertigo, autonomic nervous system type of neurology. And so he actually decided to go and get his PhD, and he's almost finished, but not quite. And one of the things they're doing is the, the rehab portion of how to help with vertigo and PVVV, those types of things. He also is a lecturer, and he's created his own program. It's about a 60-hour four-module called NeuroConnect, and he'll discuss that at the end of the episode. But we're going to go through questions you should be asking your patients, especially if they're like, you're adjusting their neck, their headaches aren't getting better, their neck still hurts, or like they just got this weird posture. You know, questions to ask, maybe something more than just the neck's out. And then he'll go through like, well, here's some of the exam things that you could do, and here's something that you can do about rehab. So he'll give a little bit away. But just really a, a fascinating story. It's To me, it's always nice to hear what's going on in chiropractic from a neurology standpoint with the adjustment and being able to broaden your scope and learn something new that you might have interest in or you might realize you don't have enough skills to be super effective. And now there is an option. So again, you know, chi- role the chiropractor plays in dizziness and poor balance issues, which the aging population, that could be super important. Uh, managing spinal musculoskeletal conditions, uh, brain style, neurology style, and our spinal dysfunctions even a result of local or brain-based problems to begin with. Before we get into the interview, I rem- probably remember I had a no acupuncture knee giveaway on top of the normal four. That's gone, or probably is going to be gone if you check. Uh, now it'll be vertigo. So just kind of plug a a little bit of the no needle acupuncture stuff. Obviously, it will not take the place of what he's teaching, but if you want a free download, see what points to use for some vertigo relief, doctorsperspective.net slash vertigo. All right. All the show notes can be found at doctorsperspective.net slash 110. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China. In Sydney, Australia, today, we have got a PhD candidate in vestibular rehabilitation at the Neuroscience Research in Australia. He owns his own site called Brain Hub. It's a podcast as well. He's uh, fallen in love with vestibular ocular reflex in patients and dizziness with chiropractic. Yes, that's right. He's a chiropractor as well. And he's taken the Carrick Institute. He's a diplomat of that. So please welcome to the show, Carlo Ronaldo. Hey, how are you, Justin? Good, good. Dr. Carlo Ronaldo. <laughs> in Australia, a little less formal. So uh, Carlo works uh, works well. There's no lab coats in our office. Um, no doctors. Um, Even as so a PhD, we're, we're pretty casual. Just, you don't have your monocle. Well, yeah, it's um, you can get in trouble. Uh, unless you qualify the term doctor in Australia. So uh, unless you're a medical doctor, uh, even the, even a PhD is generally got to qualify themselves uh, post name to say that they're a, a doctor of chiropractic or a PH or a, a doctor of philosophy. So in Australia, we're, we tend to use just our names. Um, although some, we do have the ability to, but, um, but it, it is fraught with a little bit of danger at times. So, like, if you were to introduce yourself at a party, which would be a hard, you know, how arrogant, <laughs> Dr. Carlo, 
You'd have to be like, I'm Dr. Carlo, chiropractor. Like that's otherwise you could uh, potentially get in trouble. Exactly. You would uh, anytime you in on your uh, on your social media, in person or a letter, uh, you would need to qualify the term doctor by writing thereafter doctor of chiropractic or, or equivalent too. because our regulation board will look upon that um, not very fondly uh, because it could be misleading to the public. That yeah. would be their term. Um, sometimes people just don't don't bother at all. I think one of the two states that I'm a, a chiropractor in officially, it was the same way. You had to put in advertising, you had to put DC of some sort in the back. But that's neither here nor there. I was just giving you a hard time a little bit. That's fun. <laughs> oh, it's uh, all good. Okay. So you've been a chiropractor for quite a while. And give us a little backstory about yourself. How do you ended up switching gears? You know, once you're in practice, sometimes to go back to school is kind of crazy. And uh, with a family and everything. And then how did you pick vestibular stuff? Well, I've been in practice now going on to 19 years. Actually, before I got into chiropractic, um, I did a, a medical research degree. Um, really got into research and I really enjoyed it. But I looked around my peers and I realized it didn't quite offer the, the lifestyle that I was looking for. You know, I, I, I'm not afraid of doing work, but at the same time, I want to be rewarded for it. I didn't quite see that in the uh, research profession. So uh, I got into medicine, actually. I, got into, I, uh, I was accepted into medicine. And before I started, I, I had headaches due, due to my studies, uh, posture and all those sorts of things. And I, uh, a friend of mine was working as a CA in a chiropractic office and he said look why don't you go check out this guy and this guy had been around for a while very experienced and I said sure and I you know I was a bit uh, you know it's a bit out there it's a bit wishy-washy give me the hard good chiropractic uh, the uh, the medical uh, stuff but anyway I went and I, I gotta say I was blown away he did AK work and I was like well fancy stuff at the time I knew nothing about it but I tell you what it worked beautifully and I started looking a bit more into it it started seeing uh, other professionals, not per, not as a patient, but just started seeing what, what they what they do, what sort of life they led. Uh, did some observation work, and I, I made a switch. I, I changed into chiropractic, um, and I was still working as a research assistant during the day, and I was doing uh, the doing the catch up chiropractic degree at uh, at night, which is the first three years condensed because I had already done a, a medical science degree. Mm. And then, and then the final two years were full-time master's degree in Australia. We have it as a master's degree. Got into it and uh, loved it and, and really haven't looked back since. And really, it was um, three or four years as being a chiropractor when I realized I had a lot more questions. Uh, I love the, the neuro. Uh, I wasn't very much a, a, a program or assistance person. I had questions, why did this happen? Why do we see this? And so... I got into AK because in some ways that was my beginnings and that also raised a lot of questions as well. And from that, I thought, well, how is it that this part is connected to this? Why is it that we can do this test and we, uh, with the head turned this way or the eyes turned that way and we see a certain response? And, and the reality is, is the commonality between that technique and many other techniques is neurology. It was, you know, how is everything strung together? How is it that we respond to the environment? And really, it was at that point that I got into neurology. Um, I undertook my first course starting in 2004, 
completed it within a two-year two-year uh, program, and then it's um, been a life-changing uh, event from then. I've, I've since taught it. I've taken the course a number of times, uh, and now do my own version of it um, uh, at a, a, a you know at a different level that it was taught to back then. So I, I haven't um, I haven't looked back, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the ride since. Would you say that the learning more about the neurology would help the clinical practitioner really excel at what they're doing more? Is it really that necessary to go that deep? No. Well, that's, that's a great point. Um, the person that I am uh, and the questions that I had, I wanted to go deep and, and it is a very deep rabbit hole. And the truth be told is that it doesn't appeal to everyone and it certainly doesn't appeal to a lot of chiropractors. And I, I think it, it puts people off learning neurology. Uh, and, it, and it need not to. So, you know, having taught the program and similar programs, you know, the first question I get is, do I really need to know all of this? And the reality is at the end of the program, it's like, well, you may take only 10% of that information and use it effectively in practice. So a lot of it is it's stored, but it doesn't get used. And, you know, over a period of time, you just lose it. So I'm a big advocate of having a theater program or something that is appealing to far more people is more broader, is certainly more clinical applicable. And then, you know, at a small percentage of those people that do that will go, oh, my God, this is the answer to everything I want to know. I'm now going to go down that rabbit hole. But at, at, at the same time, and that's fine, and it will do that. And that's what, it, that's what hap- happened to myself. But it doesn't appeal to a lot of people. And unfortunately, many people will look at the neuro nerds and go, oh, you know, they're, they're at that level they're too elitist. I don't want to know about them and it's too difficult. But there's a lot of baby steps that they could take that they will thoroughly enjoy the neuro. They'll thoroughly enjoy the results that they get with their patients without having to invest, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in a program, travel every second week, uh, every month and spend so many hours studying. I mean, that, that appealed to me, but it certainly doesn't appeal to a lot of people. So I think there's a, there's a, a condensed program uh, version that is certainly appealing and I think is, is something that should also pretty much should be part of the undergraduate curriculum uh, to a level that I don't think is taught at the moment. I think we're taught a very basic neurology, you know, pathology model. And I used to teach it at university, uh, but it's frustrating because it's typically not what we see as practitioners, particularly chiropractors in office. We don't see the, the hard lesions and the hard pathology Typically, they have already come to us from a neurologist or have been to a neurologist with a diagnosis of these conditions. And then it's the shade of grey that we see in our office that what can I do to make this patient function better? We know that the spinal work has huge bearing, but it really is. It, it's, not, it's not enough and we need to open up our scope to how to assess and manage these patients. And that's where I think as primary care practitioners, we should be able to have a bigger toolbox to be able to help more and more people. And that's what I'm passionate about at the moment. I've been interested in the neurology. You know, you get out of school, you go through school, like you said, and you kind of like, I feel confident in this based on like what I actually will need. And if I catch something that's like, oh, that doesn't seem right, we send them off to the neurologist. And I've had some people like yourself who've taken the class and they're like, dude, it is tough. They're like, it's tough. It's hard. And then my thought was, you know, as chiropractors, we get these diplomates, but to the outside professions, they're like, I don't care. I don't know what that means. It's not a residency. It's not a fellowship. To them, it's just like, so what do you, you know, extra stuff? <laughs> what do you, you still can't do anything, surgeries or anything with it. So part of me was always like, if I ever take a class... I'd want to like look at the course and be like, hey, what can I take that's practical that I can put into practice? Because 
getting all this knowledge isn't going to give me a leg up in any other profession, I don't think, except in chiropractic land. So I don't know if that's true or not, or if you found that. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I, I do get that. Um, I'm fortunate with my studies that I'm around different professions, a lot of neurologists, ENT surgeons, and I attend their seminars and I attend and I often present at these seminars. But I tell you, I tell you what, having the, the neuroanatomy and neurophysiology understanding and the depth of knowledge that we've obtained, it, it's great to be rubbing shoulders and to talking to these medical practitioners and they're looking at you going, oh, how is it that you know about this and about that? <laughs> so it's cool. Now, does it translate to me, uh, to the average chiropractor to be a better practitioner in their office? You know, it's, that's questionable. I mean, it's cool. and I'll, I'll, Confidence will be there. Confidence is there. At the same time, we need to be, uh, I think we also need to be cautious because, you know, whilst our depth of knowledge is there, you know, we, we don't have the scope to diagnose and to manage a lot of these conditions. We're at least in Australia. So right. we, you know, in Australia, the word functional neurology or chiropractic neurology or neurological cons- chiropractic neurological consultant these are terms that our regulatory body will literally pour you over the coals and uh, and mm. find and fine you, and you may lose your license within minutes. Wow. Um, so we're very restricted here in Australia, and you know whether you that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think there's scope of practice that we need to be concerned with. So our advertising, um, anything I say on my website, in my clinic website, in if I say that I can help someone with condition A, B, or C, I need to have a list of references on there to say this is the reason why I think I can help people. And oh, really? Yeah, it's it, it, we have to justify it because someone of the public, remember the, our regulatory body is, is there not to protect us as practitioners. It, they're there to protect the patients from unscrupulous practitioners who claim things when they shouldn't. So that's their primary goal. And they'll go through our websites and highlight things to say, you cannot say this because you've not shown evidence to do so. So it's it's difficult, which, again, is, is somewhat – I'm not against it because it keeps things in checks and balance. Well, there's a lot of cookies out there that will do yeah. some – I'm pretty sure America was first and then Australia got chiropractic second. So they probably saw the kookiness that was going on. They're like, yeah, we're not going to have that <laughs> if we're going to have you guys come here. It's not going to work. Yeah, at all. I think um, I think there's a lot of test cases that our regulation board says, you, know, you see what's happening in the States? We don't want anything like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, you know, and it, look, again, it has its advantages, disadvantages. And I think all in all, I think it's for the best. It is a little bit stifling, our environment, but... Well, things like herniated discs, disc bulges, is there anything, audience, we will get into the neuroscience stuff, but when you're... Are there certain conditions that are just like, look, you're approved, you don't need research to back up headaches, low back pain, uh, disc bulges? Is there anything that's just sort of like assumed? Wow. I need to check out some chiropractic websites in Australia because those things must be thick. Um, Well, you know, the ones that aren't uh, are getting letters from the regulation board saying that this this is not approved. Strike one or you're done after one strike? Strikes. You have have a period to update. And it it, it can be quite stressful for a lot of people. So... It's yeah. um, no yeah, your rules. It, it, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. You, got, you do play. You do need to play by the rules here in Australia. Yep, that's fair. Okay, so this is interesting. When I was in school, AK was considered 
you definitely will get laughed at at our school. They're like, look, if you're gonna go 8K, you, you probably shouldn't have came to this school. Mm-hmm. And then even with like, I think like the activator protocol, I'm a big fan of instrument adjusting. And one of the drawbacks of that is, you know, doing a leg check, oh, one leg looks shorter, touch here and one leg goes short, one leg goes even. And you'll have some people like, that's the craziest thing. It doesn't work. But then if you talk to people who've done activator for a long time, they're like, well, it's pretty consistent. And we don't know how it's working, but we didn't know how chiropractic worked, you know, 50 years ago, really, either. So does the neurology show that this stuff is kind of accurate with the AK and that type of stuff? I I think it's emerging. I think now I'm not technique specific uh, and I sort of pulled away from these groups. I'm not in the inner sanctum as much as I once was, but I know that some of these protocols are starting to, to, to introduce the neurology behind SOT, the neurology behind AK, the neurology behind various techniques, because I guess, again, they feel that it's a common language and common framework that can give some substance as to what they do. I know that introducing co- uh, uh, the neurology component into some of these coursework, uh, I don't know to what level, uh, they may be cherry picking things to suit what they're doing, and that's fine to, a, to an extent. Um, I don't think there's many studies that have shown the reasons why these techniques work. So, you know, I think if if we have someone from the outside of our profession looking in and they were to look at the quality of evidence with these techniques, I think it might be a little uh, hard to swallow for some people. And I guess in my – I think chiropractic is very insular. I think we, we have our, we have our you know, people at the food of each of these technique food chains – and yeah. in some ways, they they don't get asked a lot of questions about why or what they do and show me the evidence. I think it's, well, this is what we've been doing for so many years and, and this is it. And you know what? If you, have, if, if, if you want to build credibility, particularly outside of our profession, that's not the right way to do it. And right. I, the way I look at it is if I had my supervisor, who my PhD supervisor, who, by the way, is a, uh, a biomedical engineer, He's not a chiropractor. If I, if I placed on his desk, I said, would you mind reading this and show me how valid and how well does this stack up? Um, to me, that would be a great test because he would pick it apart as an engineer would. And he'd say, well, that's the, how does that, why do they infer this? How do they make this leap from one point to another? And to me, that's what our profession needs is the, someone from outside going, let's, let's see how robust this study is. Let's not pat each other on the back at conferences, at our own modality conference, and say, yeah. hey, we're doing fantastic. But the truth is, is that the research world will look upon that and go, well, no, that's not the case. So, which is in, in part the reason why I've taken a PhD project and in a, a school and in a university that has absolutely nothing to do with chiropractic. Um, I'm in the faculty of engineering in the Department of Biomedical Engineering in a university that has nothing to do with chiropractic. It's a very big medical medical and engineering university, probably one of the top two or three universities in Australia. And I want to have my research stacked up against the best in the world. And if a chiropractor's name is attached to it, my hope is that people look at this and go, 
oh wow, you know, that's that's a chiropractor doing a pretty good work, and he's he's doing all the he's ticking all the right boxes. And then my goal is that we can then feed that back into chiropractic with a le- level of credibility that is typically not seen amongst our research. And you know the research is generally limited at the best of times. Whilst I'm very happy to say that's now changing. But from an external point of view, I, I want to add a le- level of credibility that a university, sorry, our, our profession desperately needs. So that's one of my goals. So your PhD is going to be in vestibular stuff. So Correct. balance, dizziness, gait. That's, to me, that has a wide implications for old people potentially falling, for people who have like Meniere's or benign positional something, ber- vertigo, <laughs> PVD. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets it. Everybody I gets got it. it. <laughs> I mean, that's what we see in the office. So are you looking at – I'm curious how you got into that of all the things that you could have gotten into. Yeah, sure. Um, and then when you're doing your research, is it to show that chiropractic can get better or are you trying to discover something new about the disease or just try to map it out? or Sure. What's going on there? Well, um, I got into this – so part of the neuro world opens up the brain as a window of how the rest of the body is working. So we can start looking at eye movements. We can start looking at, at certain areas of the brain working and how they're connected to each other and how, how that influences movement, spinal control, and what we see as practitioners all day. And the vestibular system is one system that I was fascinated about because evolutionary, it's, it, it starts very young. It develops very young. It's involved with how kids develop. It it has strong connections with our autonomic nervous system, strong connection with our balance system, with our cognitive system, with our body awareness system. And all these, again, have direct influence on how our spine functions. So I was really intrigued by the vestibular system. And over the years, I learned, I took some courses, I, I read up more about it, and I just started having a better outcomes with my patients with these conditions. So, so I had an affinity for it. I, I developed mm. an interest and then I got in contact with this, my, my, my now PhD supervisor about five years ago, spent some time in his lab, and he was curious to know what the hell is a chiropractor doing in my office. And then we started talking, and I said, listen, I, you know what, I'm, I'm due for a change in my life. Are you open to have a chiropractor as part of your, uh, as a student, as a PhD student? And he said, why not? And it got, it got started from that perspective, and, and really it, and the, my PhD is all about we're trialing, we're doing a clinical trial on uh, a new vestibular rehabilitation technique. So, so vestibular rehabilitation is a broad ter- term that's given to exercises to help people overcome dizziness and improve their balance very broadly. And these exercises are either gait exercises, are the balance exercises that most most chiros would use at some stage in their practice or be familiar with. Like an Epley's or like a proprioception ball or yeah, something? It's more, more proprioception. So it's more that, um, you know, standing on a gyro disc or using a ball or doing tandem exercises or, you know, doing things that involve standing and balancing, whether it be sitting on a ball or standing on a disc. So most chiros... Even eyes closed, one leg up. Exactly. So they're the proprioceptive base exercise then there's ocular motor exercise so how our eyes move so we may give uh, well people with dizziness conditions will typically have abnormal eye movement so we might give um, exercises that help retrain these eye movement uh, and then, now this gets in more in the specialized field so most chiros won't do this and most chiros wouldn't do a vestibular specific therapy and that involves you know positioning the head or turning the head rapidly from side to side whilst they 
fixate on a point. Some chiros know the Epley's maneuver, and you know they may know some of those type of conditions, uh, but it typically limit. Most chiros wouldn't know beyond that point. Right. So my study is not chiro specific; it's research specific. It's basic science specific, but it has it can be extrapolated and it can have interpretations um, within the chiro world very, very well. And that's my goal: is that um, my goal is to translate that information and to penetrate that research field so chiros can be better positioned to say, I am now more competent. I can uh, um, competent to manage patients better, to see more patients within this field, and to open up a scope of practice that chiros typically don't get involved with. I deal with a lot of spe- medical specialists that wouldn't, 99.9% of the time, consider a chiropractor as a referral source for their patient that present with the, these type of conditions. It's generally mm. a, a PT, an audiologist, but seldomly a chiro. Unless a chiro has built up that relationship with a practitioner, we're just not trained in that field. So one of my goals in studying this vestibular rehab is to have the skills and I guess the competency to then train other chiros to say, hey, listen, this is perfectly within our domain to upskill competent and to manage more of these patients so we can be more relevant um, in in healthcare within this cohort of, of patients, which typically at the state at this stage we, we don't do very well. So what we want is for you to do really a good job getting these systems taken care of, finalizing your PhD, so then you can potentially create some kind of program so that as chiropractors, physical therapy, whoever, I'm assuming at that point, sure. can take a course of some sort and say, hey, when you leave here one weekend, two weekends, whatever it is, you can say this is this is probably what you learned in school. It worked for some people, but now we know here are other bags that you can use, more tools to help these kind of patients. You could probably niche down in this now, potentially a little bit more, and then you can learn like the complementary fields. If it's not improving, so. this is who you would go through. This is how. This is when you would use an audiologist versus an optometrist versus just, hey, you need to go to a neurologist and all work together. Exactly. And I'm very clear when I teach these programs to chiropractors is that Let's not lose what we know. Let's not lose our history. I'm still a very big advocate of spinal adjustments. I still use spinal adjustments when appropriate. I'm probably a bit more selective when I use it in my patients, but I still do, and I see phenomenal results that neuroscience and neurology hasn't provided at times. Whereas, you know, at the same time, I know when there's limitations. I know when to dive into my toolbox and to use other therapies that have given me results that I've not been able to see uh, with standard chiropractic care. So I'm not about saying this, uh, put down your adjustments and do what I do. I think collectively they will add to it and you'll find times when one works better than the other. You'll find time when they will both work really well together. And uh, again, when, when, when we look at, when we're in an era where, Chiropractic has an image issue, and we collectively should be looking at not only getting our patients better, but also doing our, our profession a, a better justice. Then I think it's important that we upskill in what translating that into into better patient outcomes, but at the same time not losing our identity. And I think that's important. People say, "Well, the neuro guys just go off on all these tangents and they forget about what we do as chiropractors." I definitely don't say that, and I definitely don't advocate that. But at the same time, when someone comes in with a head tilt and you, you, know, you adjust their neck 
and you think that's the answer, um, but they keep coming in with, uh, you know, maybe it's because their vestibular system is not balanced, uh, namely the otolithic organs, which are these little organs in the inner ear which help position our head relative to gravity. If they're imbalanced, one's not working well relative to the other, we're going to have a head tilt, or the patient will have a head tilt and present to you with sore neck with a head tilt. Now, unless you can identify that that patient actually has a vestibular imbalance, not simply a neck subluxation or joint dysfunction, however you want to describe it, then you know we're doing ourselves, that patient and our profession a big disservice. We can't identify where the primary problem is. And I think as chiropractors, we've always uh, tried to you know, position ourselves as looking for where the source of the problem is. And, uh, and typically we look at the spine. And whilst that's true for a lot of conditions, it's not true for, for many others. And I think it's important that we broaden that look and look at other areas that could potentially contribute to why our patients present the way they do. Diagnostically, I guess let's go with I guess go with the stuff we see in the office. Like you say, the head tilt. Maybe they have nystagmus. They talk about being dizzy, so you do the you know a couple of different maneuvers, and you got the nystagmus. You're like, hmm, okay, that's a pretty clear case for maybe let's try that, please. But do you happen to have either one or two diagnosis nuggets for us to check out? Like this probably is screaming more vestibular, and then do you have one or two? therapies that we could possibly implement on Monday morning mm. of just to complement what we're doing. So maybe maybe like a take-home exercise like you do Epley's, you know they're not going to be fixed yet. And they're like, well, can I do anything else at home? You're like, yes, you should try X, Y, and Z. Sure. Amazing results. I think the, probably the best example to give would be someone comes in with a chronic neck problem. You know, they've had it for years. They may have had it or months or years. They've been in your office. You've done your neck work. And whilst the joint mobility may improve, they're still complaining of a variety of symptoms. And it's important to listen to the patient. So the first thing I would say to the practitioner is ask questions. Because unless you ask questions, if the patient, you know, if you ask, you see, a patient walks in the door and they're complaining of the same symptoms and, and you just get them to lay down on the table, you've missed an opportunity. So It's not just tapping the atlas. It's not. So I'd ask them, you know. Um, so I think the, one of the best examples to to talk to chiropractors about as it relates to how to look at the brain and how to use brain-based therapies to help manage the neck is uh, or manage the spine is the whiplash the whiplash patient so you know we've got many patients in our office that have had car accidents sporting injuries falls blast injuries uh fights whatever it might be that they've injured their neck and if you ask a patient Either, what other symptoms do you have? Or if you'd lead them and say, do you, do you get any blurred vision? Do you have any troubles reading? Um, do you get any lightheadedness or disorientation? What's your balance like? Um, any brain fog, poor sleeping, memory issues? Do you have any body awareness-based problems? And you may think, well, what's this got to do with a neck? And any one of us that have been in practice for you know, more than a week will know that Someone comes in with chronic neck issues will typically have a lot of these symptoms. So, so the first thing I'd say to people is ask your patients, do you have any of these, these related symptoms? And more often than not, they'll say, yeah, I, I have troubles reading or my balance is off or I'm bumping into things or I get lightheaded. I get a little bit of anxiety or, uh, or fear when I, when I move around. For the practitioner, you should be thinking, okay, it's now just not the neck, but now we're looking at 
part of the cerebellum. We're looking at part of your vestibular system. We're looking at ocular motor function. We're looking at higher cortical function. So how is it that the neck is related to these areas? And we know through particularly the whip neck to parts of the brainstem that have a lot of connections to these different areas is very, very strong. When we have a proprioceptive deficit, joint dysfunction in the neck, it will cause a change in signaling or brain coding to this, let's call it the black box within our brainstem. And this change in our black box will then have strong influences on our eye movements, on our vestibular function, on our balance function, on our higher cortical function, on our autonomic function. So if we have a problem with our neck, we're more than likely gonna see uh, comorbidities or concurrent symptoms or signs in these other areas. So it's important we ask these questions. So once we've established that, you know, it seems like you've got some of these other issues going on. The next thing we need to do is, how do we examine these people? And again, it's not just put the patient down on the table, examine the neck and that's it. We now need to look at and evaluate these areas well. So we may do a balance test. We may get a, a, a mat or a, a foam block and ask the patient to to stand on a mat on a mat or a foam block and see what the balance is like. We may get them to walk along a corridor and see how stable they are. We may simply place our finger in front of the patient and just ask them to follow our finger from side to side. We may check their blood pressure and heart rate. We may um, get them to do some cerebellar tests, which you may remember from your undergraduate training. Uh, we may do some vestibular tests and we may do the Dick's Hallpike because with whiplash injuries, there is a force that gets displaced through the head and, and also the inner ear that may dislodge some of these little otoconia or, or crystals in the ear and contribute to BPBV or benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. So these are all the tools that you now have to go, oh, let me evaluate this so I can better understand what you're presenting with. So we may do our, our balance test, eye test, our autonomic test. We may do our cerebellar test. We may do our, our uh, BPBV test. And once we've evaluated all these things, we can then say, okay, you're coming in with neck pain, but your eye movements aren't great. Your balance isn't good. Your body awareness isn't good. You've got BPBV because the whiplash dislodged those little otoconia, and now you've got the free-floating form, and you've got dizziness when you turn over in bed. Yeah, that's right. I have that as well. So once we've got that, we can say, all right, I'm now going to put together a, a therapeutic plan, a, an exercise plan, a, a rehab plan in conjunction with your spinal adjustment to add to that. So we may do our Dick's Hall Pike maneuver. We may do our eye movement therapies. We may give people a, a bunch of proprioceptive balance exercises. We may give them some targeting exercises that will help the cerebellum. We may give them some breathing or uh, exercises or mindfulness exercises to help with their autonomic uh, stresses that they're experiencing. So what I try to teach in my program is there's no cookbook approach. There's no step one, two, and three. We try to teach a, a principles-based way of looking at the body. So once you understand how one area of the body is connected to another, it then opens up your understanding to well, maybe I should look at this. Maybe I should look at this. Here's how I assess it. And based upon those assessment uh, results, I'm now going to convert that into a therapeutic plan, into a management plan. And now this is what your, your home exercises or in-office therapy plan 
is going to start looking like. And it gets funky. It gets weird. In our office, you know, we have people doing all sorts of things that are very specific to their history, examination results, and what their goals are. And once you can tailor something specific to the patient, patient results are just through the roof. And we see some great results based upon the specificity of what we see. So it's hard to say, here's your one or two things that you would do. I would try to get the the practitioner to look at, ask the questions first, based upon those questions, what examination before, eyes, balance, inner ear, autonomic, cerebellum, and so on. And then what you find in those examination findings should be turned around and become a therapeutic or a, a rehab exercise that you can do as an adjunct to your Cairo very, very nicely. So I think in a, in a, long, about, in a long way, uh, Justin, I've, uh, I've opened up Pandora's box because you know, there's, there's seldomly a one-size-fits-all, but really what I try to do is get people to think about the first principles and use those first principles to be a better practitioner. And I think that's important. I think that's what some patients, not patients, that's probably what some of the practitioners are going to want is, all right, A plus B, that's all, that's all I want. I just want to know what to do with it now that I see it. But in reality, one, it's not the way it's going to work because every patient is going to be different. But if you have a set of, I don't know how many different exercises, let's just say there's 10, you could be able to pick like, yeah, these mm. four is what you would use for, you know, they can figure out for this type of condition. You would use these three for this one. But then that, that's pretty much what you're trying to figure out right now for your PhD. That's correct. Is yes. uh, these are working, said. these aren't, and you're going to have control group and variation A, variation B, and just kind of seeing, all right, who's actually getting the best results with these different techniques, and you're just not there yet, right? Okay, now you've got a seminar coming up uh, in Hong Kong, which is interesting, uh, in my opinion. But um, the brainhubacademy.com.au. Give us a little bit about what you're teaching. Uh, do you ever make it stateside? Europe? Uh, is it just Australia? Euro-Asia, I think is what they call it. <laughs> okay. um, it uh, Brain Hub Academia is, I guess, my one of my hats that I wear. It's, it's very much along the lines that I've, I've been talking to you about. It's, it's getting chiropractors and practitioners interested and not scared about neurology and I really want to make it translatable or applicable to their to their practice and I, I hear this over and over that they just want a condensed program that they can use without you know spending many years or, or many thousands of dollars and and, and that's what it, that's what it's aimed to do so I've been teaching in Australia for a number of years I'm, I'm in Europe um, a fair bit and uh, I'm in Asia a fair bit. Uh, I haven't been to the States yet. I mean, I've got a number of practitioners and, and colleagues who are calling me out, hoping to get me out there, and I hope to do that very soon. Um, but NeuroConnect is really my, my new baby. My, um, it's, a, it's a four-part, 60-hour course that is aimed at uh, really bringing the chiropractor up to speed with managing a lot of the conditions that we see, but with evidence, um, with uh, a clear understanding of how things work, a current model, losing any of our identity. So, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's kicking off in Hong Kong 
as of uh, March next year. Wow. So what what type of things can we learn there? Module one is all about laying the foundation of of what we're going to do. It, it, it's, it really talks about, I mentioned before about the the neck and uh, and the neurology behind neck dysfunction. When a bad neck only has so many uh, deleterious effects on other parts of the body. But how do we explain that? You know, we've used a bit of an outdated model for a number of years now. And I think chiropractors need to move from that uh, bone on nerve that, that analogy of you know pressure on a hose and it's causing problems in the brain. I think it's that doesn't stack up. The research has now shown that there's a lot more to it and it fits what we do very nicely. But I think we just need to be upskilled and we need to be versed in how we describe that. So module one is all about talking about how can we use proper terminology? How, what is the neuroscience behind spinal dysfunction and subluxation? What effect does it have on the brain? What is it that we can do to the brain that can have an effect on the spine? Uh, so we, we, we look at it from different points of view, but we want to get people to understand the connection with the spine and the brain. The autonomic nervous system is a beautiful thing. As we've seen people that you know we've adjusted in the past and they've been unwell, they've had headaches, they've been nauseous, they've been lightheaded for hours or days after the adjustment. And we often think, well, that's just the, the adjustment taking its effect. And, you know, we've put it down to, well, your body is not used to it and we need time to adjust and so, so. But the reality is, is that what's probably happened is that we've exceeded that patient's specific metabolic capacity. The brain, we've stimulated the brain at a point where autonomically they've not been able to withstand that type of input. And that tells us something. It tells us that they're a bit more sensitive. It tells us that we need to be more cautious in, in our approach. It tells us that if they're sensitive to this, they may be more sensitive to light and noise and motion in daily life. So again, we, we teach our practitioners how to look at the autonomic nervous system. How is that important for us as chiropractors? And once we have that information, in module two, we talk about the, the examination. We show how to perform an examination, how to perform a detailed neuro exam, how to interpret the results, um, how to do a quick screen if you want to do something in a in a nursing home, how to do a falls risk assessment. So we do both the condensed and the more detailed version. Uh, we want to show practitioners how to do a report of findings that's neuro-based, how to do a, um, a review examination, again, that's neuro-based and based upon their initial presentation, how to perform a history, what questions to ask. So module two is all about, I've got this knowledge, how do I be a better clinician in terms of assessing and that's really important words to what you I mean, how do we describe this to patients are we just are we talking about bone on nerve or are we talking about sensory motor mismatch are we talking about um, you know the beautiful neurology that happens and patients get this but we just got to be updated uh, and it's not just patients but it's our colleagues and also our scribe what we do to a doctor that they're not going to roll their eyes and go, oh, here we go again. I want, I want the chiropractor to say, we're, we're describing A, B, C, and D, and the doctor to go, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. I understand that. I understand what you're doing. That's awesome. And, you know, obviously, we need that, and we, we want chiropractors to be a referral source. We want our game to be up a notch or two, and that's really the crux of what I'm trying to do. 
it was nice. It's not some sales pitchy weird. This is how you communicate for sales. You're like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to learn all about this neurology and then we're going to use it in layman's terms so that they understand what's going on. Because that was that was kind of what I was alluding to earlier is you got all this information and you're going to try to talk to some patient and they're like, yeah, you <laughs> lost me at neuro practically. So just do what you need to do. Yeah. Doc, it's too much information. So that's great that you're trying to yeah, bring and it I'll, down a little. I'll definitely, and there'll be a lot of clinical pearls over 19 years of practice, what I've learned and what I've seen doesn't work. You know, th- we learn from our mistakes as well, and I'll be happy to share those. Module three is all about the spine, how it's controlled, balance, and posture. So, you know, the crux of what chiros do and why patients present to their office is all about the spine. So we look at scoliosis. You know, I want to show chiros what is another way that we can look at assessing and managing patients with scoliosis. And most of us look at, you know, spinal adjustments or maybe taping, maybe bracing, maybe mirror box, uh, mirror adjust, adjustments. But what we don't realize is those spinal muscles are controlled by descending influences of the brain, particularly the, the vestibular system. So we're going to explore how is it that we can assess and manage people with spinal conditions like poor posture, like scoliosis, like recurrent back problems with more of a brain-based approach. And it's, it's cool. It, is, it opens people's eyes up. And again, I'm not here to take away from what we currently use, but I want to add to that. And for those 20 or 30% of people that don't get better with what we do, this could be the answer to it. And module four is all about integrative approaches to pain conditions. You know, as chiropractors, we see a lot of people with back pain and headaches, uh, chronic pain, you know, chronic regional pain syndromes, things that, that specific spinal adjustments don't often help. When it comes to chronic pain, we need to be familiar with that the problem is not local, it's brain-based. And all the research now is talking about this cortical reorganization, how the brain reorganizes itself over, over time based upon a chronic injury. And unless we address how the brain interacts, perceives, and functions, then we're not going to help our patients with chronic pain by doing spinal-related work only. So we look at the biopsychosocial model. We look at nutrition. We look at cool and funky ways to... Um, get the brain to work better, like mirror box therapy, like left-right integration uh, exercises, like a whole, ba- a whole bunch of different eye exercises and, and body awareness exercises that help the brain recalibrate itself to understand what the body is doing. And it doesn't happen by doing our typical spinal work. So we're going to dive into that. So, I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I think, <laughs> geez, I've got a lot to cover <laughs> in 60 hours. In 60 hours. Yeah, but yeah, you know, you do. the trick is, and what I, I, I pride myself on is distilling that information. So the average chiropractor, when I say average, the, the, the chiropractor is doing musculoskeletal work, spinal adjustments, and doing great work at what they do. What is it that they're looking for? What is it that I can uh, that more to see the result? And they upskill and they get themselves to a new level and get our profession to a new level. So that's my task with NeuroConnect, which um, starts in Hong Kong next year. So uh, I'm looking forward to it because it's um and, and the truth is you know I hopefully I'll take this program and um, you know I've earmarked it for Australia thereafter to Europe and hopefully the states. And I think it um, it's something that our our profession needs. Well, selfishly, I hope you record <laughs> Hong Kong, and then you can just sell it to us <laughs> online for uh, for those who 
who are like, oh my gosh, it's going to be 2021 yeah, before he yeah. finally gets I've, out here. I've got to, I, I do often record my, my seminars because I'm, I'm a strong believer that it's, um, you know, I, I want to spread this. You know, I don't necessarily want it to be all mine. And, and it's not my information. I must state this up front that, you know, the research is not mine at the moment. Whilst I'm going to be adding to it, a lot of it's out there. I just pull it in. I distill it. And I, I use my my almost 20 years of experience. And I try to think, okay, what is it that I'd like to know? Topics, these slides together because I go, oh, man, this is awesome. I love, I wish I knew this. I wish it was it was told to me in this way over the years. So, um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it'll be recorded. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be recorded in Hong Kong, but it will be more than likely recorded at a later stage. So, um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, before we let you go, uh, I always like to ask, you sound like a super busy guy, obviously, at this point. You uh, <laughs> you have a spouse. How are you able to have this work-life balance, keeping your family happy? Uh, you got any secrets for us? I, uh, poor secrets. I'll tell you what I do, whether it's a secret or not. I mean, it, it works, and it's been working for the last three years. I mean, so I, I study full-time. So I'm a full-time PhD student. Um, but I also in practice 15 hours a week and I travel probably four. So I'm off to China next for six days. Uh, I've got Europe in March. I've got Europe again and Asia again. So I'm, I, I travel a lot. I have a family of two young kids who are at school, uh, a professional wife who, who works. I just, what I try to do is whenever I travel, uh, my family comes with me. So during school holidays, I both teach and spend time with my family and my kids and family love traveling. So I try to integrate as much as I do with them. They're invested in my success. I do it for my family. I do it for my profession. I do it for myself. And I think once you've got a clear, my what I do in my profession is very much tied with my values as a person and with my family. So it seems to blend well. I think if it was disjointed, if my family wanted something different or I couldn't do what I I wasn't able to provide for them with what I do, then it wouldn't last. So I, I, I just tie it together and it, it works really well with us. I'm blessed that I've got a very supporting wife, uh, kids that love what I do and obviously love traveling. And they know that what daddy does enables him to travel. Uh, and they'll, they'll, and they come along and, with and you know, they, they love that. You know, when we travel and they go to, so, you know, at yeah, the moment awesome. it's working, it's, it's working really well. Dad's working. Mom and the kids are going to explore the city. Remember that time we? Nope, you weren't there, Dad. But you was kind of there. I, we went I, had dinner. This get, is great. I get photos throughout the uh, when I present, and they're you know they're in shops or they're on amusement parks or they're here or there. Or they're on the beach, so I get that. And you know what? I don't I don't begrudge that at the moment. I, I love that they're doing that, and um, and I look at I look at the audience I, when I'm on stage. I sort of reflect at times, and I think, wow, I'm you know last year I was in Japan you know, talking to 40 or 50 chiropractors in Japan. And I just pinched myself before I got on stage thinking, this is ridiculous. You know, I, it's great. And it all started because I watched a show, a food show, and they're talking about ramen noodles. And I love Japanese food. And, and, it was, okay. and I said to myself, I want to get the best ramen noodles in Japan. How is it that I can do that? Got in contact with a couple of colleagues in Japan. And I said, let's, let's put a seminar on. And, you know, and about nine months later, I was kicking yeah. myself thinking, it all started with me watching a show about ramen noodles. And uh, I thought, you know, this is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> So when we find out where you're going to be at, we know this guy has an ulterior motive. <laughs> it is there, it's generally food or it's family. Uh, well, it's food. It's catching up with colleagues. I do have a lot of colleagues around the world and I love catching up with them. 
food colleagues and where does my family want to go on their next vacation? So if they say to me, Dad, I want to go to Disneyland in LA, you know, probably I'll, I'll, I'll be putting on a, a conference in, um, in LA shortly thereafter. <laughs> yeah, you may want to go to the one in Florida, yeah, though. I'm just been, saying. I'm partial. <laughs> That's a longer trip. It is though. a longer trip from Australia. Hey, you got any books or uh, podcasts that you think we should rec- we should check out before yeah, we let you go? I started I started many years ago listening to uh, who I'm sure you and many of your listeners would would know. You know, all about gratitude. It's all about values, and you know, it's, who was it? Uh, uh, Doctor D Martini, John D Martini. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, you know, connecting and just you know being congruent with your values to me is such an important thing, and and because of that, I, I just feel that. Things are just flowing for me. So I would get on to a lot of Martini's work, John Martini's work. It can get quite deep or it can be quite superficial, um, but it works It works, work really well for me. So that would be something that I'd be encouraging new grads or people who are stuck in a, in a rut to, uh, to explore. Very good. Dr. Carlo Ronaldo, chiropractor, almost PhD. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. And for those who uh, don't realize we record early, I want to wish you a belated Merry Christmas. Uh, fantastic. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate your time, and I, <clears throat> I certainly hope your listeners uh, got a lot out of it today. And as we bring in 2019, I hope they have a prosperous year and, and, everything, and everything goes well. Oh, wh- where do people find you at? What's the website? Um, yeah, uh, Brain Hub Academia. So B-R-A-I-N-H-U-B a c a d e m i a brainhubacademia.com.au you can check out where um where some of our upcoming seminars are they'll be updated very shortly um and i'm more than happy to um you know take uh, any emails or uh, any questions that people have um through carlo at brainhub.com.au okay guys don't forget the au yes correct That wraps up another episode. I want to remind everybody that we have some great affiliate links available. If you're into instrument-assisted soft tissue manipulation, we've got the Edge tool and we've got the Hawk Grips. Saves you about 10%. Also with the Edge, you've got the uh, like blood pressure cuff restriction system. You've got the G Suite inexpensive EMR in case you'd like doing cash practice. If you want to know what hosting I use for podcasting, it's Blueberry. Pure VPN. That's one of those ones I use to help keep my payments secure as well as access the internet more safely. You've got the Primal Paleo grass-fed protein bone broth style. Save 10% on that. No sugar, allergy-free, gluten-free, dairy-free, all those types of things. Mentor box. Get taught by the author. We got set for set for those floss bands that you may have heard about on one of the episodes. I really like those. Any Amazon products that you might want, click the link in the show notes pages. And of course, I got my own electric acupuncture pin to go with the No Needle Acupuncture book. From time to time, you know, I'll have a bundle set where you can get them all together for a great price. I also have the free downloads at doctorsperspective.net slash blueprints. And what lately I've been doing is substituting a fifth one, like I've done a knee. And depending on the guest, I might do a different type. So check back there. So all those resources can be found at doctorsperspective.net slash resources. There's also t-shirts at .net slash t-shirts. Put up some new designs from time to time, like making lemons out of lemonade, shrimp po' boy, plus all the chiropractic and podcast swag that you could want. If you have any ideas for guests, please send me an email, justin at a doctorsperspective.net. I'd love to hear who you think would be good or a profession that you may not have heard yet. 
If you can, send me a review. That's .net slash subscribe. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Android devices. You just click that button. It'll take you exactly to the page you need to. You can write a review, hopefully a five-star review. Like I said, it does help for other people to discover what we're doing here. And we've got over 100 episodes. This is going to be like our third year. Super excited. We're going to have a little mini-series like we've been doing, which has been fun. Hope you've enjoyed them as well. That's, that's the feedback I've gotten. And one thing I haven't really talked about too much is the a doctorsperspective.net slash support page. If you want to buy a, host a cup of coffee, go for it. If you want to pledge a little higher fee, there's buttons for that. There's even monthly recurring. For those who feel like, wow, this is like the cheapest mentor coach program I've ever seen because you interview so many different kinds of doctors and, and I've been able to implement things that I've heard and it works. So monthly recurring payments, which also can get you my books for free, t-shirts for free. Uh, the first book, you know, that deals with health and exercise, getting on a diet, getting your financial health in order as well. Things of learn in China. You know, that book is available as well. And one thing that I don't have, I don't have like a, a full blown page about coaching and things, but there's a little button there. I've had people request, hey, doctors and non-doctors asking me, can I do more than just answer a couple of questions or could you be my coach for a little while? And I say, yeah, we can do that. So it's something I haven't really advertised, but it's something that I can do and do, whether it's marketing, some strategies for new patients, growth, those types of topics. If you're interested, just email me, justin at a doctorsperspective.net. As always, listen, critically think and implement. Have a great week. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review, and if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guest. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trostclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.